Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and you know one of the things I love about Good News Friday is when there's a Good News Friday that also has giveaways attached. That's <laughs> right. And we have giveaways of a really great book. If you've ever gone through a tough time um, in your faith, and you understand that you know things can be really tough, um, and God is in control of everything that you're going through. Then you know it's one thing to say, okay, fine. You know, um, it, it's amazing to see how many people um, are you know dealing with tough times, and all of a sudden they're saying that um, here comes you know God and standing in the gap for the different things that they are experiencing. And, you know, I, I really appreciate the fact that there are more and more men and women of faith who are stepping up and saying, I'm going to take a stand for, you know, maybe an unpopular decision in the culture. But then first and foremost, what they'll say at the same time is, oh, by the way, um, you know, there's, there's a reason why it's not just having good lawyers. It's not just being good political allies, you know, with other people making the right foundational marks. It's actually, um, there's a faith component here. And uh, I'm thrilled, I really am, to see the number of people who are looking at challenges in the culture, challenges to their world, uh, who are saying, you know, the reason why I'm speaking out against this issue, like I think of the Tim Ballard movie sound of freedom talk about a lot jim caviezel who played jesus of course in passion of the christ placed him in the movie uh, sound of freedom and uh it's bringing awareness to the issue of human trafficking especially the trafficking of children for sex and the hollywood response which should be oh my gosh this is a terrible thing and i can't believe you know that uh, we haven't done more about it hollywood is basically telling you that they like trafficking children for sex because they're trying to convince you in the same way that Hollywood has spent the last 50 years trying to convince you that ultrasounds for abortion uh, you know, clinics are, are cause trauma to young women. We, Lisa and I were watching something. Actually, her daughter, Ryan, uh, is a big football fan. You wouldn't know what to look at her. She's not necessarily always wearing the jersey and everything, but she was getting her hair done up the other night, and uh, we had the TV on in the in the family area. And I walked in to see they were watching a show called Quarterback. I don't know what channel it's on, but it's chronicling the journeys during the 2022 season of three NFL quarterbacks. Um, Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Marcus, I can't remember his last name, but Marietta, I think he played for the University of Oregon, and he's played for a number of teams. He was playing with the Atlanta Falcons last year, and then Kirk Cousins, who was playing with the Vikings. And at one point, um, they were just going on and on about, and the Mariotas, uh, Marcus and his wife, um, wound up uh, finding out they were pregnant. And so we were watching, they were doing the 4D ultrasound. I thought, this is like a preborn clinic, right? And there was the image of the baby's face. And I don't know, remember what Lisa was doing because I know exactly what happened next. The minute she saw that baby, she, she had comb and scissors. She was doing Ryan's hair up. And next thing you know, I hear this, oh, look at that baby. Oh my gosh, look at the smile, it's so cute. See, that is the so-called quote unquote trauma that the left doesn't want a woman to experience at an abortion clinic. 
You know exactly what the trauma is. The trauma, quote unquote, is the fact that a woman will see the ultrasound and they will see the baby and say, that's my baby, not that's a cluster of of cells. They will want to know, how do I do what's best for my child? Either releasing the child for adoption or raising the child on your own. That's why your gift to preborn is so important. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229. And I just go to thebottomlineshow.com, go to kbrightradio.com, rogermarsh.com, click on the preborn banner. And every $28 donation you make is going to be doubled by a matching gift from Dennis Wilson, which is still inexplicably in place. And I say that not to shame us all, but Dennis put that up over a month ago, and we are still working toward getting to that $7,500 goal. We're about a third of the way there. I'm looking for some heavy lifters today. Someone who will say, hey, I'm going to give that $1,000 donation today, knowing that we want to use up this matching gift. We acknowledge that human life begins at conception, that God is the author and creator of life. And there are certain things about life that you can't undo. Uh, you know, this next story, I, I have to scroll down a little bit. It's from the Christian Post. It's a Good News Friday story, but there's a sidebar story about a transgender ad for a makeup company, and it's so disturbing, I just can't look at it. A bearded man with makeup, it just it's, it's, it's wrong. Um, and I, I give people like Riley Gaines a lot of credit. Now, if you're familiar with the name Riley Gaines, Riley Gaines is a woman who is a, uh, an all-American swimmer, recently graduated from the University of Kentucky. Uh, the, Riley Gaines is her maiden name. Her married name is Riley Gaines Barker. Her dad, if you've ever watched the Olympic coverage on NBC, her dad is a guy, I don't remember what his real given name is, but his nickname is Rowdy Gaines, right? He is one of the most passionate color commentators of swimming I've ever heard. I love watching Olympic swimming events when Rowdy Gaines is calling the action. I don't even remember what he did in swimming, but Riley Gaines is his daughter. She's an All-American at the University of Kentucky, and she came to prominence back in the NCAA Swimming Championships in 2022. Perhaps you, uh, perhaps you heard about this. Riley Gaines Barker was swimming in the freestyle, women's freestyle at the NCAA championships in March of 2020. A man called William Thomas, who swims for the University of Pennsylvania, who swims on the women's team and calls himself Leah, was also in the same race. Now, Leah Thompson, or Thomas, uh, was, was a very marginally successful men, men swimmer in, on her own team, or his own team. 60th or something he was like ranked number 400th in all of the ncaa and certain events and then he starts swimming in the women's event and then he starts winning championships fastest woman in the water william thomas grew out his hair took a little bit of estrogen but still is fully biologically male and not only does that give him an advantage in the pool, it also puts women at a disadvantage in the locker room as they are undressing in front of a biological male. Imagine all the girls are taking off their one-piece, competitive, speeding, racing, whatever things, and there's a guy with all of his stuff in the same locker room. And they're telling the women, get over it. Like the high school girl 
who uh, she was playing on the soccer team, I believe, and there was a boy who was identifying as a girl. And she said, we're 13, 14 years of age. We're all topless in the locker room. We've just taken showers. And here comes this boy and walks in and sees all of us with no clothes on. Well, Riley Gaines Barker became an activist after she tied for fifth in the Women's NCAA Freestyle Championships in 2020. And when it came time to stand on the podium and hold the medal, she was told that since they only had one medal for fifth place, that William Thomas should be allowed to carry the medal and she should stand back. Because NBC or whoever covered this wanted to make sure that a man who was transgender and tried to identify as a woman would get the spotlight. Now, I don't know how tall Riley Gaines Barker is. I don't know what her vitals are with regarding to whatever. Um, Will Thomas changed his name to Leah. Get William, Leah, okay. He swam on the men's team at Pennsylvania University for three years before he switched to the women's team. He is 6'4 and 22 years of age. To hear Riley Gaines tell it, there is no one in the women's game who is six foot four. That gives you an advantage in the pool. But here's the beautiful thing. She's been very outspoken. This is the woman who was giving a talk on why she doesn't think that transgender athletes should be competing against, you know, biological females and had a pretty good discussion at San Francisco State. Then afterwards, the activists cornered her and literally chased her into a storage unit. She had to wait three hours before they would leave. She wound up missing her flight. She got punched in the face by the loving, tolerant, accepting, you know, those people. But here's the deal. Now that Riley Gaines Barker has become an activist, she has been speaking out more about why she is encouraged in her fight to ban men from competing in women's sports, and it begins with her faith in Christ. She said, you know, I've always considered myself to be a spiritual person, but this year I've been able to see how God has been moving through people and how he literally has his hand on me in this situation. I've also seen how apparent it is that the opposition works and moves through people in the same way. She recently shared her testimony uh, at a chapel service at uh, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. That happened just on July the 9th. Amazing how somebody who kind of had a tepid, lukewarm faith all of a sudden now sees it burning hot for the Lord because she says, look, I know the reason why I'm motivated to stand up for biological women. And it's not just because I lost a fifth place medal at the NCAA championship uh, last year but because this is the way God intended male and female to live. And Riley Gaines is seeing the, 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 the fan of, fanning of the flame of the Holy Spirit in her own heart as a result of what she's doing. Please pray for this woman and her husband and others who are standing up just to say, look, we are fighting for what is right for women and it's of, of a biblical nature. May more people come to faith as a result of what happens in this trans argument. You know, it's interesting when you think about people who are fighting the good fight and how many of them find their faith really challenged in a difficult fight. Uh, Pastor and author Benjamin Wendell calls this situation a good catastrophe. 
And he talks about it in a brand new book with that same title that discusses why hope is so crucial, especially when the odds are against you. We're going to get into a conversation about that book on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, I love the type of expression that people use when they're trying to describe something that sounds like it might be a challenge but there's actually a positive benefit to it. And today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a a topic of a book that I think will be a game changer for a lot of people who, especially if you're dealing with some of the most difficult seasons that you've been going through, uh, some of the things that might be enough to knock somebody off, of course. Uh, Benjamin Wendell is with me today here on The Bottom Line. Pastor Benjamin Wendell is the author of a brand new book, that he says focuses on the tide-turning power of hope. The book is called Good Catastrophe, and we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Pastor and author Benjamin Wendell, welcome to The Bottom Line Show today. Thank you, Roger. It's a real joy to be having this conversation with you. Likewise, I appreciate the fact that Pastor Benjamin Wendell not only has his degree in theology, but also has a master's degree in business. And uh, It's not every day you find somebody who goes from a master's, uh, a bachelor's in theology to an MBA. Uh, you know, and, and does that kind of executive leadership, but they do kind of go hand in glove, especially with what we're talking about here, the good catastrophe. Talk about how God led you in your academic journey that also educated your uh, spiritual journey as well. Yeah, well, actually, you know, that's an interesting question. Um, my, I'm a pastor's kid, so I was raised in the church. You know, mm-hmm. my father was a pastor my entire life. And it was a small church in Australia, and I kind of got to see the up-close workings of the church. And I think the summation of a, you know, childhood perspective was, oh, this is there's a lot of managing here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people yeah. managing people. This is not just, you know, my dad preaching on a Sunday. He's kind of running a little bit of a something here, an organization. So um, I actually set off when I finished school to firstly study business and and um, IT and changed over to theology following somewhat of a you know vocational ministry call of my life. Um, but I think you know looking back on that, I would highly recommend those dual approaches academically mm-hmm. uh, for anybody doing church kind of work because you're you're working with people and. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that educational journey. Yeah, you know, and, and I think one of the things that having the business background uh, would, would also lend itself to, Pastor Wendell, is the idea that when things are going right, oftentimes 
we can think, okay, well, God's all over this. And then when things aren't going right, we think God's abandoned us instead of realizing that sometimes when things are going right, the blind squirrel found the acorn. And sometimes when things aren't necessarily going right, that doesn't mean God isn't there. Quite frankly, he's the one stirring up the trouble and allowing the, the things to quote unquote, not go right for a reason. Kind of give us a 60 to 90 second overview, if you would, of where you were coming from with this book, Good Catastrophe, because the, the phrase reminds me of the late Dr. Larry Crabb. I heard him give an interview one time where he was going through his first or second battle with cancer. He was describing the people who came to the hospital and prayed with him and prayed over him. And he was going through this really lousy time. And he said it was a beautiful time and it was a lousy time. He, he described it as a wonderfully horrible time. Well, maybe that would have been a good title for me. Yeah. Uh, wonderfully horrible. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think that we, we do feel that, that tension, though, Roger, when it comes to just our lived human experience, that we have this inkling that not every challenge in our life is there to destroy us, mm-hmm. and yet it's uncomfortable, and not every good time that we experience is going to remain forever. And so I really wanted to study the dynamic and the relationship between hardship and hope, between our challenges and our growth. And really, it is a symbiotic relationship. Good Catastrophe, this book, is a blueprint for people to find their way out of pain. And Roger, I don't think we're great uh, in our modern day world and society at understanding pain. And we, we need, I think, to have a new framework for the challenges that we face in life. For 20 years as a pastor, I've walked with people through valleys. And I wanted to help people to discover how they could unlock the hope of force Um, the force of hope in in life's hardest fights. I mean, for example, Roger, CDC recently found 57% of teenage girls said they felt persistently sad or hopeless. I mean, nearly Mm. three in five, persistently. Now, you start stacking it up, right? Uh, You know, school shootings, cultural upheaval, political division, racial tension. There is a desperate need for transcendence. in a world that feels dark. And that is what this book focuses on. The book is called Good Catastrophe, written by my guest today here on The Bottom Line Show, Pastor Benjamin Wendell, The Tide-Turning Power of Hope. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. This is a, a... we haven't mentioned this part of the scriptural part of the book yet, but of course, this is uh, your walk through the book of Job. And I need to point out, or at least I would be remiss if I didn't, I've become a uh, chronological Bible reader when it comes to my one-year Bible reading. And so we get to Job right off the bat. And I think a lot of people don't realize, they think Job is buried in the Old Testament for a reason. We need to get all the good laws and you know hear the, uh, the, the, the Exodus story, et cetera, et cetera, before we get to Job. But people don't realize that in terms of chronological order, Job is right up there with Genesis. And it's almost as if God is saying, hey, look, in this world now, because of what happened in Genesis 3, you will have trouble. And this is how you're going to overcome it. Uh, Pastor Benjamin Wendell, kind of give us just a a jet tour, if you will, through, I mean, we're not going to go through all 40 plus chapters of Job, but what, what, what was the basis for something personal in your life or whatever that was kind of the genesis of using Job as the basis for the Good Catastrophe book? I'll, I'll at least say this, because it does take some time to unpack that in, in Good Catastrophe, I am taking a contrarian perspective to our treatment 
of how we retell the story of Job. Now, for me, being raised in the church, that can go something like this. Job was a good man who hit a perfect storm, lost everything, right? Lost his kids, lost his health, lost his business, had hope in God and got double everything back at the end of his life. And the reason why I wanted to re-examine how we've come to tell that story and there's so much within this story that to me is so inspiring and it's just a it's a it's a beautiful book uh if listeners have not read the book of job within the old testament um it's just a great it is a, it is a, a, a such an encouraging read in in many ways but think think about it this way Roger um i have three sons now if you came to me and said we're going to substitute your three sons or six sons We'll take the three, we'll give you six different ones, or 60 different ones, or 600 different ones. I would say to you, well, that's insanity. That's not the way that a father-son relationship works. You can't, you can't, this is not a numerical equation. You can't take my three and give me <laughs> right. six. Right. Job never got back this side of eternity, that which he lost his 10 children. Now, what he did have and what hope did provide was the glimmer, the scent of water, the spark that he needed to dream again, hope again, and rebuild his life. But mm-hmm. One of the things that Job teaches us, which is so important in our consumeristic model of how we view life today, is an eternal perspective to our pain, to the unexpected, and to hardships in life. Mm-hmm. You know, I hadn't really put two and two together on that one, Pastor Benjamin Wendell, with regard to, uh, you think about Job going through the season of loss, you, his friends coming, giving him that mm, counsel, uh, you know, that they had God speaking down into the whole situation and then God restoring, but God doesn't restore, he replaces in, in this case, and with the exception of Job's wife. And it's amazing to me how many people, when catastrophe hits, I think our first thought is, I just want to get back to, I want to get back the things that I've lost without realizing that God is something much better on the other side of that horizon for us. Is that one of your takeaways in terms of helping people understand that when something catastrophic does happen, that we have to let God be God, not only to see us through the storm, but also to see what blessings are waiting on the other side? It is, but it's also to show that that better that God may have for us may not be here and now. Um, I think that's mm. a, a lot of, you know, that, that's a reality. I mean, this last year, I lost, you know, my older brother, just 18 months older to me, to just a mm. devastating cancer journey. Mm-hmm. I lost two grandparents. I mean, gosh, all within the space of like six months, just three oh really, you know, tragic family losses. I think for people that are going through valleys like that, Again, whatever we get back or whatever God has for us, we need to see it through a long enough timeline that includes eternity. So that's Mm. one of the things that I kind of relook at in our telling of Job. But I'll give you another example, Roger, of something that I just kind of nudge at a little bit because you mentioned the three friends. So again, our conventional telling of this story of Job is he has these three friends that turn up and they're, you know, they've kind of become these. Uh, villains in the story because <laughs> yeah, yeah. they give some bad advice. Um, but I've come to relook at even the journey of these three individuals that turn up because 
I think it's quite a remarkable story. Job is alone. He's sitting in the dust of the earth. He's heaping ashes over his face. And on the horizon, through dried tears on his dusty face, he sees the outline of three men. Now, these three men, they're not going on a vacation. They're not going to the beach. <laughs> they're going to be friends. They've literally they've left their families, their villages, their homes, their businesses. And hope, in Job's situation, walks into his life in the form of three friends. And what we quickly forget is, yes, maybe these guys went on to give some poor advice, but they sat with Job in silence in the dust of the earth for seven days and seven nights. Now, he may have had 300 friends when he was super successful and going through a good time, right. mm -hmm. but only three walk into his pain. I actually think that dramatic moment of Job's three friends walking into his grief is perhaps the most special moment in this entire story. Mm. Boy, that's a powerful insight there from Pastor Benjamin Wendell today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We have Pastor Benjamin's book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's called Good Catastrophe, uh, The Tide-Turning Power of Hope, a really fresh and even radicalized version of a new take on the book of Job to help us understand how to work through pain and rebrand hope in the process. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, more of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Pastor Benjamin Wendell is my guest, and we're talking about a good catastrophe and the tide-turning power of hope. Uh, it, this is a blueprint for finding your way out of pain when life is tough. And, you know, it's amazing how when you take on, you look at the Bible stories of Job and the others who've gone through catastrophes, and you realize that weathering life's storms allow us to rise above uh, these imperfections in life. And we've got a copy of this book, Good Catastrophe, that we're giving away today here on Good News Friday. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. More of my conversation with Pastor Benjamin Wendell in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You've been in an accident and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own, and by then, it's too late. Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often, even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait. They don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R today. Pastor Benjamin Wendell is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Pastor Benjamin has a brand new book that is really going to be a, a revolutionary. This is one of those books as we're gearing up for fall. And I think I'd hear about the, you know, the book reading clubs, the Bible studies, things of that nature. Pastors, if you have not thought about something for the fall, or even if you have something lined up, I want you to incorporate this one into your repertoire as well. It's called Good Catastrophe, The Tide-Turning Power of Hope. 
We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Pastor Benjamin Wendell, the author, is my guest. And when you talk about rebranding hope, Pastor Benjamin, I'd love for you to help us understand what that means, because you are kind of turning the story of Job on its ear a little bit in terms of helping us to see it a slightly different way. But at the end of the day, it's still about hope. It's still about redemption. It's still about uh, you know reconciliation between God and this special guy, Job. Uh, what do you mean by rebranding hope? Yeah, and I would just, you know, um, echo what you said. If you're a pastor, this this is a great resource and tool for small groups, for anybody who's going through hardship or loss or, or challenging times. In terms of rebranding hope, I'll speak from my own journey, having been raised in the church. I think that we're very good about, you know, talking about subjects like favor and goodness mm-hmm. and breakthrough. And the narrative, maybe unintentionally, can start to sound like, put your hope in God and your life will be blessed in a way that looks like this postcard perfect life. But then mud gets thrown on our beautiful postcard and we don't know what to do with it. We have no room in our Christian worldview to process imperfections or anxiety or a loss or a storm. And um, I think, you know, it's no surprise to me that when they research and study Gen Z, the number one reason that generation gives of why they're deconstructing their Christian faith is they don't have an answer to why a good God allows bad things to happen to good people. Mm. So we need to make room at the table for the full human experience. And hope is not just, you know, having good circumstances in our life. Hope is a dynamic turn that happens. It's, it's, a, it's a dual event, and that's what a good catastrophe is. So the same event that almost broke you, brought you to your knees, covered your face in tears, in time they become these redemptive markers that God used, he didn't create, but he uses, to shape who we become in life. So I want to give you an example, Roger. You probably can yeah. tell from the accent. I'm from Australia, and <laughs> right. we have a lot of eucalyptus trees. And I had a forest fire sweep through my land. Within a few mm. months, I'm walking on that ground. It's covered in black ash, strong smell of smoke in the air. And I see hundreds of bright green shoots. And I researched this. I was so fascinated by it. How in the world are they growing in this Armageddon-like, you know, scenario. <laughs> yeah. Think of this. This is incredible. The, the seed capsule of the eucalyptus tree, it opens when it's burned, and it thrives oh. in the ash-rich soil. In fact, the tough coating requires the fire to melt away the tough outer coating requiring this, you know, uh, melting away so that the seed can germinate. So in other words, it's not just surviving a fire. It's better than that. It's that the fire is necessary in order for the potential to be birthed. Now, that same drama takes place in our life. The fires that we walk through, without them, there would be parts of our human potential and our God-given capacity that would never be unlocked from their dormant state. 
You know, as you're describing this, Pastor Benjamin Wendell, about uh, you, what you write about in your book, Good Catastrophe, the idea with the eucalyptus tree and the cross-pollinization, the germination that only happens as a result of a forest fire, even going so far as to say, well, the seed flourishes in the ashy soil. People would look at that and say, okay, well, I know here in California, for example, you know, we have wildfires and lightning strikes. And of course, there's a big environmental push to let the grass grow green, but then it's all brown and overgrown and sparks come from a transponder. Next thing you know, you have a 30,000 acre forest fire. When we think of a fire like that, it seems like it's very unhealthy. It's something that we should be preventing to try to preserve nature. But you just described a fire that needs to happen. Otherwise, we don't get any eucalyptus trees. Help us understand what, what this means moving forward, because it seems like for a lot of people, when it comes to life storms, we do everything we can to protect against them and to even avoid them at all costs, rather than saying the point isn't to avoid it, but rather how to withstand it and to see God in it. Yeah, and I think that's human nature, you know, but it's not serving us well. We're drowning in anxiety and depression and fear and uncertainty, and our world is getting more complex. And that's why we need hope. It's like a spiritual resilience. It's more powerful than optimism. And when you think of the Christian faith, faith, hope, and love, the three pillars of the Christian faith, mm -hmm. I think that we're good with faith and we're good with love. We need to rediscover hope because hope goes to work when life hits the hardest. So a little concept vehicle that I talk about in Good Catastrophe, I call it the bicycle. Now, when you think about a bicycle, every time you go and ride, both wheels are in motion. And just think about one wheel representing, you know, the wheel of human experience, hurt, pain, hardship. But there's a second wheel, the, the divine wheel that includes hope and peace and joy. I found this. I used to think if only I could just remove every problem from my life, right. every stress point then I would be happy. What I'm discovering in my life is like a bicycle on two wheels. I'm constantly experiencing both of these dynamics in my life. I've always got some hardship and some pain, and I've always got some joy and some good. But here's the real dynamic within this. What hope does is it takes every one of those challenges and problems, and it actively converts them into our growth and into our potential. So instead of delaying our joy and going, well, if I could only solve this financial problem, then I could feel peace or be fulfilled. We need to invite hope into our imperfections right now and see it go to work. Because you write about this in the book, A Good Catastrophe, the, the, the starting point for hope isn't perfection. And that's where a lot of people are saying, well, you know, once I get it all together, then I'll have hope. And you're saying, no, wait, hope is born out of hardship, not out of perfection. I don't think that the New Testament knows a version of hope that doesn't exist within just some craziness, right? I mean, particularly the teachings of the Apostle Paul which I think we urgently need to return to and examine because Paul had a way of approaching life where he saw no incongruence between talking about, you know, I'm going through, I'm being beaten, I've been persecuted, I'm lonely, I've been abandoned by people that I thought were loyal to me, I've been beaten unto death, I have a thorn in my flesh. He had no problem talking about all of that. He didn't, he didn't polish it up. And in the same breath, same sentence, same phrase, 
he would have a brightness, a searing brightness, a spiritual optimism in him in terms of the gospel and the good news of Jesus. But Paul only obtained that because he had a theology, he had an understanding, a worldview, a perspective on what hope is. And again, we have to replace a cliche version of hope, which kind of says, believe in God, and you'll never walk through a day of difficulty and everything in your life will be perfect. (laughs) We need to shelf that and we need to pick up a more biblical, gritty, robust, resilient version of hope that actually does its most active work when we're going through difficulty. And when I studied from Genesis through to Revelation, my central discovery about how God relates to humans was this, that when life hits the hardest, God specializes in crises. It's not his, you know, side hustle. It is his (laughs) nine to five. It is his primary expression towards people to show up when we're going through storms. Beautifully put. Uh, Pastor Benjamin Wendell, I really appreciate the work you've put into this book and also giving us a fresh perspective on where hope is uh, found, first and foremost, and how one of our sources of hope uh, really is the struggles of life that come to all of us. Uh, Pastor Benjamin Wendell's new book is called Good Catastrophe, The Tide-Turning Power of Hope. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Benjamin, great to get to meet you, sir. Thank you so much for your time today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, amen to having hope in the midst of a catastrophe. And Pastor Benjamin Wendell giving us a blueprint to find our way out of pain, um, but in a way that is really not your typical way of looking at this. Good Catastrophe is the book. The Tide-Turning Power of Hope is the subtitle. Uh, We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we have a copy of this book that we're giving away right now. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Good Catastrophe, the name of the game, and uh, that's the name of the book. And we encourage you to check it out at thebottomlineshow.com. Good News Friday edition of the program. Good thing for you to be looking at. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. There's been a lot of talk recently about the number of people who are leaving states like California and Colorado and things like that because the economy isn't really good. And then you see people on the left, you know, saying, well, wait a minute, though, you know, 71% of the U.S. GDP is produced in states that are run by blue leadership, Democrats. And, you know, if it weren't for California with the fifth or someone even had the audacity to suggest that California has the fourth largest economy in the world. Boy, if it weren't for states like California and our tax dollars going to those poor little southern blue states, well, you know, or red states, rather, uh, you know, we're the ones who keep the world going. Well, I found a very interesting story recently, and uh, it was a a study that was conducted, uh, America's top states for business. And the study measures every state's economy, including growth domestic product, GDP, and also job growth. They look at the housing market. They look at the health of the state's finances. How much debt do they carry? What kind of budget deficits do they run? And then the final 
tally was they total up the number and they come up with uh, the best economies for residents. Not the best economies for the politicians, but the best economies for the people who actually live there. This study was compiled by CNBC, which is not exactly a hotbed of conservative thought, but they actually did, I think, a fairly fairly fair and balanced approach to how to measure this type of thing. So I wanted to share the good news because when you take it, there's a recurring theme in the majority of the states. Now, not all of them run the way I think that we as Christians would want to see them run, but when you hear the list of the states and what they are winning at and how they are providing for the people who live there, I hope you will be as encouraged as I am by this list and the fact that there are 10 states in the U.S. at least that seem to be getting it right. We'll take a look at the 10 states that are running America's best economies for residents. Coming up next as the bottom line continues. My thanks again to Pastor Benjamin Wendell for joining me today here on The Bottom Line to talk about his brand new book called Good Catastrophe, The Tide-Turning Power of Hope. It's a fresh look at Job and, and what it's like for Christians who are suffering right now and understanding that God uses those gauntlets, if you will, to refine our faith and to shape it and deepen it and strengthen it. We do have a copy of this book to give away here on Good News Friday, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And, well, I'll I'll tell you what. I mean, I say this every Good News Friday. I'll say it again today. If you give uh, a call to uh, Crystal, and Joel are answering the phones today, and you don't get a chance to get in on the drawing for the Good Catastrophe book, we have other things we're giving away, too. And I'll just kind of mention that as kind of an off-the-menu thing. Uh, for you to order up. Uh, Just keep in mind, though, and I I thank everyone who does keep this in mind, um, we do have a policy here at the Bottom Line Show that you can win something once every month. And I'm not talking about once every calendar month, like if you win something on July 31st, you can call back on August 1st, that type of thing. We try to keep it 30 days between victories because we want more people to have an opportunity to actually win stuff. So if you have won something in the last week or two, and you're calling in to win something again, let me ask you to just step out of line for a couple of weeks and let other people, you know, get a chance to, uh, you know, have a chance to uh, <laughs> to win something, okay? Uh, that would be right neighborly of you, okay? So thank you for doing that. Hey, I, I told you earlier about this uh, new report from MSNBC, and oh, man, you know, I, I, I get all excited I really honestly do about, uh, you know, getting a straight scoop from someplace from uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the folks who, you know, don't always give us the, uh, the best news. Like for example, uh, we had a donation to preborn the other day. Uh, Raymond uh, sent a $56 donation in from San Pedro. Raymond, thank you so much. Uh, That means two more kids will be, um, saved through a preborn clinic because of Raymond's generous $56 gift. It's $28 per preborn uh, ultrasound session. So that multiplied by two, it's 56. And because of Dennis Wilson's matching gift, that's doubled now. And so four kids will actually be saved. That's the truth. I mean, you're not going to hear about preborn and you're not going to hear about ultrasound machines saving babies' lives in the mainstream media. And the reason is twofold. Number one, they know that if a woman sees an ultrasound, 85% of the time, she's going to uh, 
um, she's going to choose life for her baby, number one. Number two, there are a lot of people who support abortion who have absolutely no idea that abortion clinics don't do. Remember Abby Johnson in the movie Unplanned? Um, Abby was the director of the Planned Parenthood in Bryan, Texas. Catholic by upbringing, but she believed that girls should have access to birth control. She was told that abortion was birth control and not the murdering of a preborn child in the womb. And she was so good at referring young college-age women to Planned Parenthood, she wound up becoming the director of the Bryan, Texas... Now, Abby's a go-getter, but she was became the director of that Planned Parenthood clinic in her early 20s. She was Planned Parenthood's employee of the year one year. until And she worked there for years before she actually darkened the doorway of a surgical abortion where she was called to assist. And then, after having two abortions herself, she saw what the procedure actually involved. And guess what? All of a sudden, she began to realize, oh my goodness, this is awful. And she became a passionate supporter of the sanctity of human life. Raymond's gift to preborn, $56, provides two, an ultrasound appointment at a preborn clinic, means there's an ultrasound machine there, they do a pregnancy test, they do the ultrasound, it pays for the pictures to be developed, it pays for the technicians to be there, and then mom is given the option, well, there are three options once she finds out she's pregnant and gets to see that little guy. Number one, congratulations, you're a mom, you're gonna welcome this child into the world. Congratulations, you're a parent and you're going to deliver this child and then release that child for adoption. We'll show you how to do that. Or number three, Legally, you can abort your child, depending on the state you're in. 85% of the time, when those women are told the truth, they wind up choosing life for their baby. And Raymond's gift to, uh, really helps today and every day. And the money that's raised here stays here. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229. Or go to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com, and you can just follow the prompts to uh, make your donation to save babies through preborn. Okay, little preborn commercial there. <laughs> didn't, didn't plan to go on that tangent, but that's where God wanted us to go. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to walk through this top 10 list of the 10 states that are running America's best economies and tell me if you hear similarities in what these states are actually doing. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now, $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. 
Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good News Friday edition of the program. You have a few moments left to get in on our giveaway of the outstanding book by Pastor Benjamin Whittle, or Windle rather, called Good Catastrophe, The Tide-Turning Power of Hope. The link is up at thebottomlineshow.com, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Okay. We have the top 10 list of the top 10 states by uh, ranking, looking at gross domestic product, uh, job growth, debt rating and ratio, uh, major corporate headquarters that are located in the state and what their economy score is, okay? Um, Number 10 on the list is Delaware, ironically. Uh, New business formations jumped by 44%. Last year, Delaware is a place where a lot of companies go to incorporate. Job growth, 2.5%. GDP, 2.1%. Their score was 247. Uh, top score is 360, by the way. Number nine, Indiana. Uh, not really a barn burner economy, but home prices have gone up about 10% per year. GDP growth just under two. Job, 2.6. Their score was 248 out of 360. Uh, Idaho is in eighth place. The gem state has uh, real estate that's surging. Their score was 252 out of 360. Uh, GDP growth almost 5% and job growth 3%. Um, Number seven on the list is South Carolina. uh, Score of 269 out of 360. GDP only growing by 2.4% per year, but job growth growing 3% per year. There were 96,000 business startups in 2021 which put South Carolina in the top 10 per capita. Number six, Utah. Did you know Utah was called the Beehive State? I just learned that too. 278 out of 360. Uh, GDP growth just a hair under three. Job growth just a hair over three. Um, And all these states have a debt rating of AAA, by the way. Number five is Tennessee. Their score was 295. GDP growth, 4%. Job growth, 4%. And uh, they're getting lots of new, well, they've got a lot of durable goods manufacturing and uh, lots of new jobs. Number four is Georgia. Uh, That's because Home Depot, Delta Airlines, Coca-Cola are all there. A rather diverse economy. Um, Home prices up around 11%. uh, GDP growth just a hair under three. Job growth a hair over three. The only red flag for Georgia, they had a 296 score, is the fact that there is a bit of an uptick in foreclosures there. Some folks are moving to Georgia and buying a little bit more than they can handle. Number three is North Carolina. GDP over three. Job growth over three. Their score was 310. Uh, By the way, that's for Bank of America's headquarters, in case you were wondering. Number two is Texas. The Lone Star State averaging, well, adding 630 jobs last year, 630,000 jobs, 5% job growth in non-farm payrolls, best in the nation. GDP growth, 3.4%. Their score out of 360, Texas has a score of 324. And then number one, if you've not heard of Ron DeSantis before, let me remind you that the sunshine state of Florida is literally the white hottest economy around. Job growth, 5%. GDP growth, 4%. Um, price appreciation in homes last year, fastest in the nation, 15%. Uh, housing affordability is becoming a little more challenging, and the insurance market is a bit dicey there because of the natural disasters. 
but the state has America's top economy out of a score of 360, perfect score. They have 340. They get an A+. Now, did you notice the states? Here's the list. Number one, Florida. Number two, Texas. Number three, North Carolina. Number four, Georgia. Number five, Tennessee. Number six, Utah. Number seven, South Carolina. Number eight, Idaho. Number nine, Indiana. Number 10, Delaware. This is from CNBC. And nine out of the top 10 economies statewide in the nation are run by conservative, constitutionally driven, well, they're red states, basically. So the next time someone tries to tell you, oh, well, those hate-filled red states and their economies are so bad, blah, 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 remind them, if you would, from me, that nine out of the top 10 states in the country right now with regard to the best economies are red states. And if you feel that tug, I had a friend who said, yeah, we see people coming from places like California, New York to Texas. They're they're Texas-based production company. And they say, we just call it the Texas tug or maybe the Tennessee tug. If maybe, and if you're Colorado, Oregon, California, and you're considering this as well, please know you're in good company, but there's a reason to do it. You're not just running away from the People's Republic of California but rather you're looking at the economies that are so strong and saying, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a good steward with the resources to which God has entrusted me. Matter of fact, call Dennis Wilson at Wilson Financial and see if making a move like that is right for you. 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 is the number to get you through to Wilson Financial to talk about how to be the best steward with the resources to which God has entrusted you. A couple minutes left, a couple seconds left in to get your call in for the Benjamin Wendell book on good catastrophes, 800-227-5278. For those who remain on the network, we've got more Good News Friday still to come. For those who are leaving us now on KCBC, uh, Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming your way next. But for those who remain on the network, there's more good news still to come as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marshall. I should say welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the program. Uh, So much good news to share with people, especially in spite of the fact that it looks like a lot of folks in the body of Christ may actually be experiencing more hardship than ever before. Uh, The number of Christians who are persecuted for their faith worldwide is at an all-time high. As a matter of fact, we are seeing more people persecuted for their faith in the Middle East, their faith in Christ, than any other religious expression. And that being the case, I mean, it's, you know, I get it. I, I really do get it. During the pandemic, when we didn't have to be around our neighbors as much and see people as often, it was kind of a relief in some regard not to have that, that conversation with folks. As we started traveling again, I know my travels to places like Tennessee and Texas and Colorado and even different parts of the People's Republic of California here uh, really led me to understand the differences in folks. And, and, you know, it's amazing how many people found themselves in unfamiliar territory as Christians, uh, realizing that uh, I, I shared this, I think, on the roundtable a couple of weeks ago. And I, it was something that it wasn't new to me. I mean, this has not been, it's a phrase I've been using here on the Bottom Line Show for years, and, and you've probably heard me share it. But if you were born in America, I was born 62 years ago this September in Whittier, California. 
and I was born into a church-going home. My dad was a choir director, so he was called the Minister of Music, and my mom directed children's choirs, and my sister and I were in Sunday school, and my brother came along later, and we were always in church every Sunday. And the Bible was considered the the moral standard, you know, for uh, the way people lived. And it really didn't matter if you were wealthy or not. I mean, uh, in the 1960s, I grew up going to church in South Pasadena, California, where my dad was the choir director at Oneana Congregational Church there right on Huntington Drive. And I didn't know that the Huntington Drive area in South Pasadena was pretty swanky. Um, I also ironically didn't know that there was a young boy who had been born into a home where he had uh, seven or eight siblings. Mom had been married and divorced and then remarried to a guy who wasn't really all that great. Mom got cancer and passed away and basically abandoned, this guy abandoned her children right after she died. That guy, by the way, is Jim Daly, who's the president of Focus on the Family. And uh, Jim grew up in Alhambra, right down the road from where I used to go to church. We're contemporaries, same high school graduating class. And then he went to college at Cal State San Bernardino. And we're not like best friends or whatever. He's been on the show before. But uh, it was interesting to think about that time period where one of the guys who went to our church and actually sang in our choir was uh, there was this kind of scrawny little kid. I can't remember his name, uh, first name. His last name was Richter. And his dad, Les Richter, was a linebacker for the Los Angeles Rams. And yet when they were in town or if, I mean, the Richters were in church every Sunday. Les sang in the choir. Maybe his wife sang in the choir. And I didn't know. I mean, my dad, my dad worked for a guy at the Orange County Department of Education who was the head official in Super Bowl IV. I mean, there, there were people all around us who were good, God-fearing people who had regular jobs and everyone just accepted that the Bible and biblical standards and God of the universe, that was the standard for morality. And now that we have studies like George Barna uh, talking about his American worldview inventory at Arizona Christian University, saying that the two biggest changes during the pandemic were A, there was an increase in people who believe in absolute moral values and absolute moral standards. But then B, is that that same number of people, it was a 6% increase in the people who uh, believe in absolute moral values, but also a 6% decrease in the number of people who believe that the Bible is the source of those standards. In other words, now it's self-defined. In other words, I'm my own truth, so speak your truth, and if we can all agree that our truths kind of line up with each other, that's going to be the standard. And I started using this phrase probably 10 years ago. I said, you know, it used to be as a Christian, Living in America meant it was pretty much you were the home team, you know? You could go to church and not get hassled. You could say you were a Christian and it wasn't a problem. If you missed something, like I could still remember, there's a young boy in our uh, fifth grade class. It was his first communion at our Lutheran church I was a part of for many years. And I remember on we did first communion on Monday Thursday because that's when the first Eucharist was celebrated. And he actually showed up to church on that Thursday night to take his first communion. He was an all-star on his little league team and they had practice or a game. And his dad, Joe, came in and said, Michael told me he wouldn't miss his first communion for anything. And I, I thought, boy, that's really impressive because a few years later, that same kid was playing high school sports and they missed a ton of Sundays chasing him around for whatever sport he was playing. But I remember realizing I, it was right around the time when George W. Bush 
was uh, uh, president and people were talking about how nice it was to have a good God-fearing Christian in the White House because Bill Clinton and his wife, et cetera, et cetera. And then when the Obamas became, you know, took over as the first family, as it were, and they weren't really regular with their regular church attendance. I mean, they talk a good game, like they, they had faith in Christ, but there was also the rumors of was he a Muslim and et cetera, et cetera. But that's around the time when the culture began to shift. And a lot of the things that happened during that administration got us to the point where we are right now, which is that's when I started using the phrase, it's no longer a home game in America if you're a Christian. We, we, we are wise to recognize that the culture does not support a biblical worldview. I actually got this idea 25 years ago from a man named Phil Fisher. Uh, Phil is the co-creator of VeggieTales, along with Mike Narwaki and a side order of Eric Metaxas. Can you imagine the three of those guys together? Phil's a very, very smart guy, very bright. And they created the VeggieTales series. In theory, Phil told me years later, because they thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we took the biblical values that the kids are already learning at home and we give them a fun way to reinforce them, never realizing that what was going to happen is that the majority of people who got VeggieTales were using that as their primary Bible story. It's kind of like watching uh, The Late Show, Trevor Noah, whatever the guy's name was, and, um, and, and looking at that as your news source instead of saying, no, the reason why the late night comedians are funny is because everyone knows the real story and then they make jokes about it, not realizing this is where people were getting their news. And so it, it's interesting to see how things have gotten more challenging. So the people who used to be big ticket donors to political campaigns and things of that nature, now the culture doesn't always support a biblical value. You're actually going to pay a penalty, if you will, for... Um, for having faith in God as a Christian in America now. So when we talk about how Crawford Broadcasting uh, runs a whole series of God and country stations, we're no longer in the majority in saying that. So that that's even a bigger, you know, kudos to Don Crawford Sr. and the staff here at CBC, because that's not the way that the culture works anymore. It used to just be, well, you know, we're God and country because everyone's God and country. Now it's like we're God and country in spite of the fact that the culture doesn't like it and 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 quite frankly according to a new poll that was conducted by the gallup organization there's george barna and george gallup the gallup poll that was conducted the first three weeks in june a random sample of several thousand adults in all 50 states and the district of columbia they measured the faith of americans in 16 major societal institutions do you still have faith in small business the military police the medical system etc etc And then they also asked about uh, the criminal justice system, big business, and Congress, in addition to church and or organized religion. When asked how much confidence these consumers have in every one of these institutions, only two of them had more than 50% of respondents and saying that they had a great deal of confidence or quite a lot of confidence. And that is, Big business, or excuse me, small business, and the military. The other 14 institutions, most Americans have a minority view of, you know, having some confidence. But interestingly enough, when this question was asked in 2022, 31% of Americans said they either have a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in the church. 
Now, that was right at the bottoming out of the pandemic and, you know, the midterm elections had just happened. So how would this happen in 2023? Well, in 2023, remember in 2022, 31% of Americans expressed either a great deal of confidence in the church or quite a lot of confidence in the church in this Gallup poll. In 2023, that number went up a whopping one percentage point. Now it's 32% of Americans have a great deal or quite a bit of confidence in the church. So about one out of every three Americans on the whole trust the church. But how does that square by income? Because we talked about the number of people who are wealthy, if you will, well-to-do in the church that have, you know, confidence in the church. But 24% of younger American adults, 18 to 34, have high confidence in the church. 32% of adults aged 35 to 54 35% of adults, 55 and older. So please notice, one out of every three Americans has high confidence in the church. The other two-thirds do not. So the next time you're saying, well, we all know, and everybody should be thinking biblically and blah, 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 they don't. They really honestly don't. Um, By the way, men have slightly higher confidence levels in the church than women. It's 33% of men to 29% of women. But when it comes to the church of these 16 major societal systems, where does the church rank on a scale of 1 to 16? We'll take a look at the overall numbers coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash wilsonfinancial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The teeny, teeny, tiny bit of good news in this Gallup survey is that the number of people who have confidence in the church or organized religion in America, and this is of all people, not just of Christians or people who are religious, went up from 31% in 2022 to 32% in 2023. Where does that rank with regard to uh, overall, you know, in terms of other organizations? Well, I, I mentioned that there are different groups they're a part of 27% of people, of adults, have uh, confidence in the Supreme Court. 26% have confidence in banks, public schools, big tech, and the presidency. 25% 
organized labor, newspapers, 18%, the criminal justice system, 17%, television news, 14%, and the lowest of all the institutions that people had a high confidence level in, Congress, only 8%. The church didn't get a huge, strong vote of confidence, but they did rank fifth, by the way. You have small business in the military over 50%, police is 43%, medical system 34%, the church 32%. And by the way, maybe you'd be surprised by this, maybe not, but when you break it down by income, the number of people who earn less than $50,000 a year express what is called a great deal of confidence in the church. If your income is 50,000 to 100,000, only 13% have a great deal of confidence and 13% of people who make over $100,000 a year. So the poorest Americans are most likely to have a great deal of confidence in the church. And maybe that's not such a bad thing. Maybe, just maybe, we the people may need to take a closer look at what it is that we have and what it is that we are craving, where our priorities truly lie, and what it is that God is calling us to do. I mean, take case in point. Two films that came out this year in the mainstream media that have really led to cultural change. Now, they've they had good box office numbers. I'm talking about Sound of Freedom, the Tim Ballard story about rescuing children who are being trafficked for sex internationally. That film is at $85 million at the box office now. Remember, it was released on the 4th of July, so it was released 17 days ago. And the thought was, okay, if we could put, get a really big opening day on the 4th of July, which was a Tuesday this year, and then it'll kind of carry through the week, and then we'll release it to home video and churches will have it for the fall and it'll be great. Well, a funny thing happened on the way to that plan. The movie sold $10 million in pre-sale tickets, which was unheard of. But by the end of the opening weekend, six days later, it had sold $40 million in tickets. After the following weekend, it was up around 65 and it's on its way to 100. And the left is doing everything they can to stop its impact. But you watch, more and more people are going to come to faith because of this film. They're going to stand up for the trafficked because of this film. And it's going to have an impact. Case in point, the other movie I was talking about that had a huge impact on the culture is the movie Jesus Revolution. Jesus Revolution went, uh, you know, went there with around the 50th anniversary of what happened at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa back in the early 1970s, when a young uh, evangelist, if you will, from the Bay Area called Lonnie Frisbee came to Southern California, joined forces with Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and the Jesus Revolution really got its footprint established in Southern California. Literally, right here, just a few miles, just a few feet, if you will, from the Bottom Line Show flagship affiliate, KBRT, in Costa Mesa. 
During the heyday of the Jesus movement, literally tens of thousands of young people would descend upon a beach called Pirate's Cove in Corona del Mar. If you're if you're listening on K-Bright right now or even KNSN, uh, you, you know all about it. And you know how big a deal this is. Well, a couple weekends ago, there was another huge gathering at Pirate's Cove that I want to share with you. This is a good news story that kind of drafts off of something that Greg Laurie began. Remember, Greg was a high school student when he got involved in Calvary Costa Mesa. He was a young, still teenage, early 20s uh, pastor who took over a church in Riverside that became Harvest Christian Fellowship. And Greg kind of became, I mean, he's 70 now, but he kind of became the Billy Graham for a new generation by launching the Harvest Crusade at the old uh, Pacific Amphitheater at the uh, on the Orange County Fairgrounds, again, right here in Costa Mesa, back in, was it 1990, I believe? He booked out the place for five, six nights in a row, and they had people come forth and profess faith. And then that Saturday, they all went to Pirate's Cove and tens of thousands of people got baptized. It's phenomenal. Well, when they shot the Jesus Revolution film last year, they actually, of course, did the scene, the baptism scene, at Pirate's Cove. And it was very, very spectacular to replicate the 4,000 or so young people who gave their hearts to the Lord because there were people on set. There were actors and extras and people who were working behind the scenes who were so moved by what was happening, they jumped in the water and they got baptized too. This year, Greg Laurie decided to move the Harvest Crusade out of Angel Stadium of Anaheim, where the uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim play. And instead, they moved across the street to the Honda Center, uh, where the... Mighty Ducks of Anaheim play hockey. And they did it July 1st and 2nd. And it was interesting because the attendance for both nights, it was around 17,000 and change who showed up there. But something like 3,000 people came to Christ each night. There were over 7,000 people total who came to faith. So Greg said, well, let's head down to Pirate's Cove and we'll do a mass baptism again. And let's see who shows up. So 4,500 people were baptized at another Jesus Revolution Pirate's Cove beach baptism. 20,000 people showed up, but there was one very special person in attendance who entered the waters of baptism. And I want to share her story with you coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment. And the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat. And you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 
833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year. So give a gift right now. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. In case you didn't hear, a weekend or so ago, there were 3,000 or so people who earlier this month uh, gave their lives to the Lord through Greg Laurie's Harvest Crusade at the Honda Center. It was July 1st and 2nd. And so uh, then for those who come forward, you know, at the event, then they like to go down to the beach and do baptisms there after that all happened. And so uh, the following weekend, Pirates Cove was the scene and they had the uh, uh, the Pirates Cove Beach Baptism, uh, Jesus Revolution Uh, The Irwin brothers were there again, and Greg Laurie was there, among others, who were baptizing. And they wound up baptizing like 4,500 people. Just phenomenal. 20,000 people showed up. Um, It's interesting because on Pentecost Sunday in May, a few hundred churches came together, and another 4,100 people were baptized at that point as well. Um, You know, the thing about baptism, and I can't stress this enough having spent 30 years of my life in a Lutheran church, is uh, I'll say this to the chagrin of my friends who are in the Lutheran pastorate. When it comes to the participation in the Lord's Supper and the Eucharist, you know, believing that the presence of Jesus is present and this is my body given for you, this is my blood shed for you, we are participating in the Lord's death literally with the body and blood of Jesus Christ in his presence there. But then when it comes to baptism, I know there's been a lot of discussion about, do you sprinkle, do you not? You know, if Jesus is present in the bread and the wine, he's also present in the water because when Jesus went into the water to be baptized by John, um, Jesus basically says, okay, instead of meeting, instead of you getting nailed to the cross for your sin, I'll meet you in the waters of baptism. But in the waters of baptism, we are submerged into the water, literally into a watery grave. But when we reemerge, we are basically baptized into Christ's death. So I I know there are those and we could have a great conversation about whether to sprinkle or to submerge, but I am team submerge. And uh, even to the point where I was sprinkled as a child and in my adult years, actually my Lutheran church, this is 14 years ago, used to have a beach baptism service every year and I went. I was on staff and I went and was submerged in the waters of Salt Creek. Very, very special moment, though, for Greg Laurie, who's the founder and president of uh, uh, Harvest Crusade and the pastor of Harvest Church and Harvest America. One of the baptizees was his granddaughter, Stella. And there's some lovely pictures in the Christian Post of Greg getting ready to baptize her. And I commend both him and her for, I believe, getting it right. If her parents uh, designated them for uh, dedication at, uh, at their infancy, good for the parents for saying, we want to raise up our children to be believers. But I think scripture is clear. When you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it will compel you into the waters of baptism where you will be submerged. And one of my uh, kids, so one of my daughters and her husband, who both had been sprinkled, he in the Catholic church, she in the Lutheran church when they were younger, recently joined a church here in Southern California and were submerged on Palm Sunday because I, I, and I'm thrilled for them. But the beauty of seeing people make this public declaration of faith and then find a church home and get plugged in is so critical because 
this is the kind of event now that more and more people are going to take issue with. More and more people are going to try to put up barriers. You can't do this at a public beach and and shame on you for discriminating against other blah, 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 blah. To which I say, the more the merrier. If you are listening to the Bottom Line Show and you are near ocean or you are near a lake and you can do mass baptisms like this, do it. Time is of the essence. The good news of the gospel is this. Because Adam and Eve sinned, and Adam takes responsibility for that sin. There's a curse on Adam and all of mankind. We are the sons of Adam in that sense. And then after thousands of years of wandering around in our sin and Torah obedience to God to try to keep right with him, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in our heart God raised him from the dead. We are compelled into the waters of baptism and into the fellowship of the Eucharist with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's the only way to publicly declare the transformation that has happened in your heart. And then you walk with surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses. Now you can approach the throne of grace with confidence. You yourself can approach that throne to receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. There's no other mediator but Christ Jesus for you and for me. And the times that we're living in, brothers and sisters, he's coming and he's coming again soon. We don't know the day or the hour. All we know is that we have a great commission and that's to go into all the world and preach the good news. The bad news, of course, is that we're sinners and we live in a sinful, fallen world. But the good news is God made a way for us to overcome that and to stand in his presence, forgiven, accepted, and redeemed. And that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Have you made that declaration of faith? Do so today. That's the bottom line.